0: Welcome to another episode of the Amplify Horse Racing Podcast. I am Anise Mont Pleasure, joined by my lovely co-host, Caitlin Christofferson. Caitlin, it is great to see you. For those who are watching the video version of this podcast, you can see that uh, Caitlin has a lovely, like Steve Jobs, uh, black sweater kind of vibe going on today. Oh my gosh, that's
1: so funny! I uh,
0: yeah, I didn't even. It's very it
1: chic, hard. like very marketing chic. Oh, thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's been a little chilly down here, chilly and rainy um, here in Houston, and so it just like felt appropriate. <laughs>
0: It it's also been chilly and I'm looking out a window out my out into our back sort of backyard with our little townhouse complex and we've still got a bit of snow left. No, I'm sad I'm so to jealous. see it slowly I've seen melting.
1: Beautiful photos from Kentucky yeah, this year, week with the snow. I'm very jealous about that.
0: We've had a good bit of it. It's fun. You know, our our guests today, Conrad and Claire Banderoff of Denali said we had Uh, an amazing kind of snowstorm, almost a whiteout very early on in the winter. And Claire, who's going to talk more about Denali's marketing in today's episode, did the most incredible video of a bunch of their yearlings out in a pasture with this snow just coming down so hard. And it's got this awesome music. And uh, it was such a cool post. And just We rarely get that in Kentucky, but it was the most beautiful, you know, quintessential Kentucky winter Uh, moment that she captured.
1: I love that. Again, so jealous.
0: (laughs) Today's episode uh, that we're going to be diving into is a great one Uh, interview wise. You know, Conrad and Claire are both so much fun to chat with and have such a great vision for the industry. What was uh, your favorite? It's literally just like a
1: fireside chat because we we spoke to both of them. And if you're watching the video version, you'll see, you know, they're next to their fireplace <laughs> with the Christmas tree, which they still have up, which I love because now Kentucky has been a winter wonderland. And um, yeah, no, they're, they're wonderful. I've, you know, known, them for a while. Um, I've known Conrad for a while, um, maybe since he was like a teenager or um, a little, you know, college age at least. and um, just seeing the way that they've like blossomed into this role and hearing the background behind it because I I definitely thought that it was something that had kind of always been, Like a family plan, you know, for Conrad to step into the role of his parents and um, take over the the business and and see it into the future. But it turns out that was not his parents' plan at all. (laughs) um, So you know the background on that, and we talk about it. He's always just seemed so determined to Mm -hmm. you know do right by the farm and um, honor what his parents have built and um so yeah to talk about that we talk about you know goal setting and how you have to have a good balance of long-term and short-term goals to make it happen and then we um talk about ways that they're modernizing the farm and bringing new people into the industry through the farm through a very um, interesting and unique airbnb situation which I definitely want to check out someday, and Farm Tours and their work with Horse Country.
0: It's an awesome episode in the sense of, you know, they show so much maturity and their depth of leadership and commitment to the industry, At you know, both being still pretty young people is incredible. So really excited to share this one with our audiences.
1: Great, let's do it.
0: Welcome everyone to today's episode. I am very excited to introduce two people who I consider dear friends, Claire and Conrad Bandrop of Denali Stud. Conrad is vice president of Denali, while Claire's title is director of marketing and tourism. So I'm very excited for us to dive into all aspects of farm management, having a consignment, You know what your guys' calendar and, and year long schedule looks like. But our, our favorite starting point is always how, the, you know, how each guest got into the industry. You guys were both sort of born and raised in racing. But I'd love for each of you, starting with Claire, to talk about your respective backgrounds. And Claire, I'm curious to know, did you expect to work in the industry? Or did you think that you were eventually going to go on and work in, in something else?
2: So first off, thanks for having us on here. We've been looking forward to it. Um, I actually growing up, I always really loved growing up on a farm. Uh, we had a small nursery in Paris. And so, um, you know, baby season was always really fun growing up and seeing them grow. Um, I, when I went to college, though, I actually was trying to not be in the horse business because pretty much my whole family worked in the horse business besides my sister. And I thought I would do something different. And I ended up my first job out of college, I majored in Spanish. And um, my first job out of college was translating for an equine supplement and nutrition company. And uh, they just needed someone that could answer the phone that could speak Spanish. And um, of course, it was on a farm. Uh, it wasn't thoroughbreds, but we um, I would walk around and see the horses and I just immediately fell back in love with it. Um, and then soon after, I ended up working at Cornette, uh, working for the Lanes End account and the Keeneland account And I just, I was all in at that point. I just loved it, grew up with it. I know a lot about it. It was just a very natural fit.
0: And Conrad, it kind of sounds like reading your bio that, you know, running a farm was always your dream. So talk us through your journey into the industry.
3: Yeah, I I consider myself very fortunate that, you know, I I found my passion in life at at a young age and I knew even as young as being in high school that, you know, I wanted to, to, you know, follow in my family's footsteps and come into this, into this industry and the sport and, you know, carve out my, my career. And um, so I, I feel really lucky that, you know, I, I knew at such a young age what I wanted to do and was really able to kind of set goals and plan. And, um, you know, that led me to the good off and flying start and uh, which, you know, I wanted to, became a goal of mine since I was, you know, 14 years old. And, and then it became how can I how can I achieve that goal and I've always been a goal oriented person. And, um, but, you know, I always tell people that it, it's kind of funny, my parents never really were that warm to the idea of me coming into into the family business. Um, I always say I think I think parents, whether they're doctors or whether they're lawyers, you know, they don't necessarily want their child to to follow their footsteps in their profession. And um, it took a while for my parents to embrace the fact that I was going to do this one way or another. And, uh, you know, I remember I, I told them once, uh, you know, they said, well, this is just a really hard industry. And I said, so, well, isn't anything in life that's worth having hard? And, and that was kind of one of the breakthrough moments where they were like, well, I think we need to embrace this rather than try to, you know, force them out, you know, to a different direction. But I, um, when I was applying for colleges, there were two requirements. One is I had to leave the state of Kentucky and I couldn't study anything horse related. So, um, they were still, there were still some glimmers of hope in my parents' eyes that I might, I might find something else, but, uh, it's been, it's been wonderful, you know, being part of a family business and now having Claire, you know, as a part of it as well is, is very, Rewarding and and gratifying to to have a family run operation and to you know to carry on the the torch that my parents have have started and all he So
1: where did you end up going to college and what did you study?
3: Uh, I went to Swanee the University of the South in Tennessee. Uh, you know, a small liberal arts college. I played soccer there, and I uh, majored in economics and minored in business and. Swanee's a small school. You really get to know your professors. And there were a lot of professors and advisors that I would sit in their office and, you know, we'd be talking macroeconomic policies and I'd be picking their brains on how this could relate to the, you know, the thoroughbred horse industry. And the professors loved it and I really loved it. And uh, (laughs) so I found some loopholes in in my parents' requirements.
1: I have to say- yeah exactly well i know it absolutely comes in uh use i'm sure now having that background in running you know a huge operation and i think you know i've probably known conrad for at least 10 years um since i (laughs) got into the industry and you know one of the things that it's always been so admirable is like how Clear you were in your path of wanting to be in the horse industry because I feel like, you know, a lot of people that we interview who were in your position, they were like, no, 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 I'm going to go do something different. (laughs) And then they go and do something different and they eventually, you know, find their way back into the industry. But, you know, you could just always tell like you were very focused on Denali, it was something that you were wholeheartedly a part of, um, from very, you know, early on, like you said, teen, probably even before that.
3: You know, it's just, um, it just, it it just, I'm grateful that, uh, I, you know, I found what I wanted to do and my dream job when I was as young as I was, because it, it really has helped me, you know, advance my career and, you know, probably faster than, than if I would have come to it later.
0: I think I'd love to touch on, you know, like that goal setting piece. Um, and you mentioned Conrad setting goals and, you know, Claire, I'm sure that you've had a lot of goals and milestones throughout your early career so far too, like what's the key to, you know, identifying really clear goals in the nature of talking about careers in the industry, you know, identifying those goals. And really pursuing it, but also assessing along the way, am I still on the right track for for doing this? Like, did either of you have a point along the way where you felt like, "Mm, this was my goal for a while, but maybe I need to, you know, take a left turn and and go elsewhere? Um,
2: So I think my goalpost shifted quite a bit just since I um, wasn't really planning. Like, I didn't have a clear vision as to what I wanted to do. And so you know, starting off with equine nutrition and research, that was for you know all breeds of horses. It wasn't very thoroughbred specific. And so I did learn a good bit about other breeds that I didn't know, um, as well as other disciplines, like barrel racing and all these different um, sports that you can do. And then I realized that my heart was a lot more in thoroughbred racing and raising thoroughbreds. And and that's when I realized I needed to make a shift back into thoroughbred-specific jobs. Um, and that's when I landed at Cornette. And I will say, um, I didn't really expect to be in stallion advertising. It, it's something that I had never worked in. Um, but the team you know, at Cornette and Lanes End were very helpful in teaching me everything. Um, they gave me a good jump start into learning about all the statistics. I mean, there's so much you have to keep up with, with stallions. And um, so I learned a lot about that. And then... You know our my goal post shifted slightly again when conrad and i were dating and look at we had gotten engaged and realized that you know i was spending a lot of time working for other farms mm-hmm. and uh not the one that we would um eventually take over so um that's when the goal post shifted again and it made sense for me to move to denali and take over Um, the marketing here conrad was actually doing a lot of the marketing and so i took that over from him and then it it kind of shifted again because you know we take part with horse country um, and their tours and that grew exponentially especially over the past couple years um as well as we rent out the cabin on our farm through airbnb and vrbo and so i started managing that property a lot more so so again, you know, I still do our marketing, but a lot of my focus is actually shifted to tourism and like getting our brand recognized outside of the thoroughbred industry. Um, so it is kind of constantly shifting and I have new goals all the time. But but honestly, I love it because I'm learning about all these different areas that I didn't have experience in prior. So I feel like my post has shifted quite a bit. But then, you know, Connor I can go through his. But I feel like, as you said, he had just such a clear vision of what his goals were. Uh, So if you want to talk about your goal setting.
3: Yeah, I think what is important with goals is, you know, you need to have a good balance of short-term and long-term goals. Um, If you have just these really long-term, you know, high-reaching goals, it's hard to track your progress. And it's great to have those big aspirations and those big pie-in-the-sky goals, but you know, you need to kind of think about how do you set a path and a framework to achieving those. And so I think for me, a lot of it was, let me set some smaller, you know, shorter timeline goals that are going to help me progress towards that overarching big goal. And, um, you know, that's something that, that was beneficial to me, uh, mm-hmm. certainly going forward, you know, as when I was younger, it would be, you know, goals would be like making the varsity soccer team or, you know, professionally, it was always, you know, it was get into a good school, get accepted to the golf and flying start. And, you know, those were kind of the, you know, they were big, very big goals at the time. And, but it was, you know, how do you, how do you achieve each of those goals and think about, you know, what can you do on a smaller time frame. To help advance you towards those big goals, and um, and you know it's still something that that I try to do today um, is I, I I try to look forward and say you know what what do what do I want to accomplish personally this year? What do I want Denali Stud to accomplish this year, and how are we going to go about achieving that? Um, I think it's I think it's important because I think you have to have. You have to have a vision and an idea of where you want to be and then you've got to think about how am i going to get there
1: it reminds me of the quote i believe it's like a a goal without a plan is just a wish or something along those lines (laughs) we used to say that a lot (laughs) in the early days of uh of gss back in 2015 2016. that was that was our saying that's very
0: accurate Yeah. And it makes a lot of sense that you have to lay out, you know, you have to have the blueprint for how you're going to reach the goal along the way. And I'm really curious to have you guys expand on what your future goals are for Denali. But before I ask that, can you guys share the story of how you met? You know, you are horse racing's uh, one of horse racing's top power couples. I'll say, I'll go so far as to say that. So, how did one of horse racing's power couples meet and uh, and come to have the the greatest uh, alliteration of names ever, Claire and Conrad?
2: Yeah, that was planned. <laughs> um, so we um we actually we knew of each other growing up, just since both of our families had thoroughbred farms. They had both had consignments. My family's was a lot smaller scale than Denali Stud was. Um, but I just kind of knew the name growing up. And then we officially met in high school. Um, we just had similar friend groups. And so, you know, I would say through high school and college, we would be acquaintances. Like we, we knew each other, but we weren't super close or anything. In fact, I don't think Conrad really knew how to Tell, I'm an identical twin, and I don't know if he really <laughs> knew us apart until post college.
3: Oh yeah, um. it, was, it was definitely a thing. And in, in high school and in college, I'd see him at a party, and and you know, like the fear of of naming the wrong twin, it's so real that <laughs> it would drive me to the point. I'd be like, "Hey, you, how are you doing?" Because <laughs> I want to guess wrong.
2: <laughs> I know. And,
1: and for the record, he does know his part now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we- it was- I'm not your sister. It's, you guys are very pretty uh, spot on identical. Right,
2: yeah, we still look, at, and we sound the same, which doesn't help. <laughs> um, but we, um, let's see, we reconnected. It was after Conrad had returned from Flying Start, he had just started working for Denali again. And I had, I went to UK and just stayed in Lexington after college and um i actually he had an instagram story in the middle of a field with some almost weanlings i would say they weren't babies but they were a little older and um and at the time like my family had sold their farm and so i sent him a single emoji that was um it's like so cute and it has the And so I just sent the
3: one emoji. That's all I sent. It's a, mo- it's a modern love story, guys.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Isn't that technically like the hug emoji? Like the
2: yeah. I, know. <laughs> I think it could be a lot of things. So um, that's all I sent, and and he ended up responding, and we got to talking, and uh, he asked if we wanted to go to dinner, and I said, you know, we'll get the group together. Just I didn't really think too much of it at the time. And I gave him my number so that way he could reach out and we could start texting about this group dinner. So I gave him my number and then I didn't hear back from him for, for about three months or so. Like I, I honestly, I kind of forgot about it and uh, it was sales season. So I think he was plenty busy with other things. But he did reach out around Thanksgiving that year and said, hey, it's Conrad. Like, sorry for the delay. And Sales, uh, you- <laughs> sales
3: are over. I can focus on some personal things now.
2: <laughs> and would you like to still get dinner? I said, yeah. Who all do we want to invite? And, and he said, well, I was thinking it could just be the two of us. And, and that's when I realized really quickly that we were going on a date. And, um, you know, we went we went to Puerto Lima, um, which is, in, we love that restaurant, but you know, we just hit it off. We had very similar goals in life, and we both worked with horses. And um, you know, the, as they say, the rest is history. We just kind of immediately started dating, and we got engaged. Um, I'll, I'll tell our engagement story real quick because it was it was right before COVID. And um, my sister lived in New York City, and she was in town visiting and hadn't met Serena Song in person. Which um, side note, Serena is doing great. She turns thirty-two April fourth, um, so wow. she's. Stopped- Wow. So and doing really well. Um, but, you know, she's just such a special horse, and we wanted her hunter to meet um, Serena's song. So it was a very rainy day. I wasn't I knew we would we had talked about getting married, but um I wasn't really expecting anything because his parents were out of town. They were in London visiting his younger sister, Isabel um, while she was studying abroad. and And Conrad and her are big family people, and you know, like there's no way he would propose without his family here. So, so we come out to the farm. It was a rainy day, really gross outside. And, and I notice we go to where our foaling paddocks are and Serena is in a paddock with another mare. And so we walk over, which, you know, I probably should have thought that that was a little strange that she was in a foaling paddock. <laughs> but um, But we go up to her and she wasn't really coming over. We were trying to coax her with the peppermints and crinkling the wrapper. And she finally she finally worked her way over. And Conrad said, "I think you should make sure that's Serena." And I was like, "You know, she's the older horse in the field of two horses, and you know, we came here to see Serena. I'm pretty sure this is her." And um, you're like, we'll just double check. And so I looked at the halter, and it said, "Marry me" on it. And Aww. so then it all clicked. And I looked over, and Conrad was down on one knee. And um, and it was one of the best days ever. And very creative. I have to give Conrad big props for that <laughs> setup. Um, but yeah, so we and then we got married in 2021. And um, yeah, we the rest is rest is history.
0: <laughs> Amazing. Wow. Props to you, Conrad. That that was a that was a good one That's like a star yeah. horse couple proposal
3: i normally don't consider myself a very creative person but uh every once in a while a you know a blind squirrel can find a nut so i, I guess i <laughs> you know, a true inspiration so
0: that's so funny yeah, started- i have another set of oh yeah all started with the the maybe hug emoji <laughs> that's so funny i have another set of friends it sounds like they might have actually uh it's a we have a mutual friend who might have copied you conrad but he made different halters for one said will another one said you another one said mary <laughs> and another one was me and he he put them on all the mares out in the pasture and then made his fiance go and and check all the mares Oh my god! Finally, she figured she put it all together and was like, "Oh, I I get it. This wasn't just a halter mix up."
2: That's that's <laughs> awesome, though. That's that's funny with the words scattered around. Yeah, and,
3: made, yeah, made her work for it. That's great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, so, what is a typical year like for you guys? Because you you know, right now we're in the midst of bowling season and. You know, then it gets into yearling sales prep and yearling sales season and breeding stock sales. And I'd imagine that's a lot to juggle because you guys do a lot at Denali. So what does that process look like?
3: Yeah, so it's um, it, it's always busy at one part of the farm or another. So uh, this time of year, we're, we're in foaling season, which will fall about 90 We'll have about 90 foals during the season, and we'll breed 100 and 120, 130 mares back. And, uh, you know, this is one of my favorite times of the year because it's it's a little bit quieter in the office, but, you know, it's busy out on the farm. And, um, you know, I love foaling season. I love, you know, going into the foaling barn in the afternoon or at night and just checking on things and checking with our, with our foaling man, Danny Mitchell, who's, been with us for over 20 years. And is just awesome. I mean, he's, we're so lucky to have him. He's, he's, you know, he's got such a depth of experience that he's folding mares that he's foaled them. And now wow. he's babies. And, you know, it's almost in some cases it's going on the third generation or wow. the fourth generation. So it's pretty cool to see. And, um, you know, I don't, uh, I don't fall that many mares. I mean, if uh uh I'll usually tell Danny or whoever's on call, you know, call me up to this point and in the night, you know, call me up till eleven or, you know, if it's the weekend, call me up till eleven thirty. And then otherwise I'll I'll just go to the fulling barn first thing in the morning. And, you know, the the telltale sign is if you see, you know, some you know, if the barn hasn't been cleaned yet and you see some straw in the middle of the aisle, you're like, oh Oh, is there a new is there a new dip bucket oh yep yeah. we must have had a baby last night and so we had we had a mare full last night a uh a maiden mare named Mariah's princess she pulled a, a not this time colt and uh she did great and so you know that was Mabel and I go to the office Mabel's our our dog our chief morale officer at Denali and uh we uh we go to the full and first thing and just kind of check on things see how everything's going and um then, you know, our, our reproductive vet will come around 8.30, 9 o'clock and we'll, you know, do the new foal exam, make sure the that there aren't any fractured ribs and, you know, give the, uh, give the rhodococcus plasma, which kind of helps kickstart all of the immunity for the foal. Um, and uh, yeah, but sorry, I'm getting, I'm getting a little, <laughs> little into the weeds there. But
0: no, no, we love this. We're all about education on this podcast. So, yeah.
3: and um so this time of year, you know, we're we're in the foaling season. Once February comes, mid-February, we get into when we'll start Valentine's Day is the first day that the that the stallion sheds reopen. So that's the earliest we can we can send our mares to be bred. Um, so we'll start breeding mares in mid to late February, and you know, then it just uh, the main farm stays really busy this time of year. The yearling division is is pretty quiet because. You know, they're the yearlings are outside for, you know, majority of the day, 16 hours a day. They're they're outside. They come in in the morning. Um, they have a feed inside. They get groomed, get their temperatures taken. And then, you know, we, we want them back outside. We want them on the on the hills and in the pasture playing. And, um, you know, the Colts are in big groups. The Phillies are in groups together. And the Phillies will stay in in big groups in the fields together throughout their entire prep and the Colts will be in large groups until usually around the fourth of July, about then is when we'll separate them into individual paddocks. And we do that so because when we start getting into yearling prep, you know, we're feeding them a lot more. They've got a lot higher energy. And they just play a little too rough. You know, they're they're biting and kicking each other and we're trying to get them all spick and spam and shiny for the sales. So uh, we separate separate the colts, and, you know, that I way – I
1: say, my, my thoroughbred, he's going to be seven. I mean, he's technically seven, but he's a February baby, full. And, yeah, he still can't be in a paddock with other horses. <laughs> <But> <laughs> <Really> nice.
3: <laughs> yeah, they don't always grow out of it. Um, but funny, the Phillies, they – they'll, they'll rough house some, but they're, they're not as aggressive <laughs> as are, uh, towards each other. So, which, yeah, I guess it's just that male testosterone. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the, the yearlings this time of year, it's, it's pretty quiet, which we like. And um, you know, but it's, it's funny, you know, every, every month we go through all the yearlings, myself and Donnie Snellings are our, our yearling manager and we do monthly confirmation reports for the clients. And, and you know, even starting in January and February, we're looking at these horses and we're, you know, talking about their confirmation and are we watching anything, you know, are there, how are their knees, how are they physically developing? And, you know, even now it's early to be thinking about it, but I'm starting <laughs> to think about each yearling that is going to go to a sale because some of them are kept by, the clients to, to be retained to race, but the horses that will go to the sale, I'm kind of starting a list in the back of my head of, you know, who could be a Saratoga yearling, you know, who could be a basic tip in July or, you know, September. And so that's kind of already starting and you're kind of starting to put a little tentative list together. And we, you know, we really don't start making those decisions till closer into March, April and May is kind of when the, you know, The real decisions have to be made, but it's never too early to start thinking about. And um, for me, as we as we get closer into the end of February and into March, I start having to travel a good deal more and to go to some of our outside clients outside the farm, whether they're in Kentucky or down in Ocala or or uh, up in New York and start to put together our our sales consignment for you know, kind of the other big part of my job, which is, which is running the Denali stud consignments. And, you know, you kind of got to start hitting the, hitting the road and, you know, putting together consignments and and visiting clients and, and, you know, it doesn't, uh, you don't just get sent lists. You gotta, you gotta go out and make it happen. So.
1: And as part of it, you know, I think that maybe a lot of our listeners are familiar with the way um, horses are bred and the way they, it's very carefully like planned, but not everybody might be familiar with how meticulously the mares and the stallions are matched together previously. So when you're looking at some of these babies, are you thinking, wow, I remember when this was just an idea, kind of being thought, being hatched, like how great this mare would be to this stallion, and then you're seeing the result of it. Is there any part of that that's really like interesting. Oh, absolutely.
3: That's that's one of the the most, you know, gratifying parts is, you know, by the time when that mare falls, that's the culmination of already, you know, a more than a year's planning. You know, a mare's gestation period is 11 months. You're doing your mating months before that. So, you know, you're almost a year and a half of of anticipation, really. Of mm-hmm. You've decided the mating for the mare, you've picked the stallion, and you know that and everything that goes into that, which is the pedigree research, how the cross is performed. And then, you know, one of the biggest parts of a mating for for me when when we're doing matings for for ourselves and for our clients is is the physical aspect. You want to, you know, it's so important what you breed the mare to. You want to find the physical attributes that that she has and find a stallion that's going to complement that. And you also want to take into account, you know, any, any physical needs that she is maybe lacking. You know, if she's not, if she's more medium size, you might want to breed to a stallion that's got some size and scope and that's going to give her some leg. Or if she needs a little bit of strength and substance, you know, kind of working around the physical aspect of, you know, what can we do that's going to produce the best athlete? and in some cases also balancing that with the commercial aspect of you know we want to first and foremost we want we want to produce an athlete the best thing you can do for a mare is ever produce a produce a nice horse um and then it's you know if if they're going to go to a sale then it's you know balancing that as as well and so it is you know from from the day that they're born it's amazing how much you you can tell of well you know the things that we were looking for in this mating, you know, it, it worked and, um, you know, it's, um, a starting point. We always, we always weigh and measure the foals, you know, the morning after they're born. And, you know, our threshold is we kind of want them, we want them above a hundred pounds. And, uh, and then it's just a case of, you know, do they have enough leg? You know, do they, you know, does everything, is everything on in the right direction? And, um, but it's, uh, it, it's very fun this time of year when you start thinking back to you know why did you pick this mating in the first place and then you get to see the result of it
1: and you might be a little more realistic than this but um, <laughs> do you ever let your mind wander a little bit and think like wow this is gonna be a derby horse or anything like that at this point <laughs>
3: Yeah. You got to drink big, right? You know, we, so we've had eight foals. Our first one was a Philly and then the next seven have been Colts. So I've been telling the guys in the barn, I said, we're just working on winning Derby
0: 2027. (laughs) So funny.
2: That's awesome. Yeah, Uh, Like when you have a foal that is just super confident, um, very athletic, Um, you definitely, like your mind does wander for certain ones where you're like, well, they're setting themselves up very well, at least, or they're going to go do something, uh, whether that's Derby or just, you know, win some stakes races. Um, that's one of the most exciting things about bowling season is just the potential, like the potential that's all there. Yeah.
3: Last year we had a, we had a mare that was purchased out of, uh, or I guess it was two years ago now. That was purchased out of the November sale by by a Japanese client. The mayor's name was Shamrock Rose. They bought her for three million dollars and she was in full to curlin. And she, the you know, the plan was for her to fall here and then she was gonna get bred to flight line to go back to Japan. And um, she has this curlin colt who just from the moment he's born, you're just like, wow. I mean he was like hundred and thirty pounds, he was big, he was strong. There's our cat coming to say
1: <laughs> um, hello. Uh, he's like,
3: well, I'm
1: also big and strong. <laughs> Look at me.
3: Our very creatively named, unique named cat, Mr. Kitty. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, not to get distracted. So Shamrock Rose produces this curling Colt, And, you know, he's he's everything you hope for mm-hmm. in a hole. And I told the owner and I told some people, I said, this is what you hope you're going to get when you spend that kind of money for a mare and you know this is the kind of foal that you hope she's going to produce and uh so it's just one of those things that you know you can you can tell a lot in those in those early moments and uh and to this to this day the the colt is a yearling now and he he remains one of you know one of the physically most impressive horses on the farm
0: that's really exciting Fingers crossed that his development, you know, continues in that trajectory. We have Amplify has a board member who frequently goes, uh, we're, we're in the business of selling dreams in the horse racing industry. And you got a dream, like you got to tie a dream with each of those horses. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
3: We don't know if he's going to be a Kentucky Derby horse or a Tokyo Derby horse, but we'll, uh, you know, uh, hopefully there will be some Derby in his future.
0: Yeah. One or the other. <laughs> That's so funny. My my thoroughbred gelding um, off the track thoroughbred gelding was once a South Dakota Derby prospect. So maybe we aspire <laughs> last for the South Dakota Derby.
2: <laughs> still a Derby. <laughs>
0: still a Derby. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Claire, I'm curious to know, um, you know, with your marketing background, if you've implemented any new marketing techniques or how you've been able to apply your creativity and your background to your work at Denali.
2: Absolutely. I, uh, well, for starters, um, one of my first missions when I got here was to have a new website. So, um, we do have a new updated website now. It had been a while since, um, we had updated it. So we have some cool, um, footage of the farm that shows when it first pops up and, so, like the big thing with our old website is, it didn't really give you a feel for what the farm was like, and that's such an important part of our business. And so, the new website was just trying to get that, you know, farm feel. We are, we're definitely, uh, you know, we we tried to have, you know, we have some of the fancy shots, but we also have some everyday shots just to show, you know, we're a working farm. Um, so, the website was probably my biggest project when I started, and then it, we definitely. You know, we work with PM advertising for our um, ads and everything. I think a lot of it was just freshening some things up. Um, we had been like repeating some creative and things like that. So what's new and fun and fresh? And um, the theme has really been trying to just modernize a little bit. And um, you'll see it a lot in social media. You know, there's certain songs that are trending or uh, things like that. And you try to think, how does this apply to... Uh, horses. You know, there might be a a tourism song that you see on Instagram and you're like, okay, well, we have tourism on our farm too. You know, it's not in the mountains somewhere, but we have some really cool things here. How does that apply? Um, So we've taken over, uh, so we do a good bit in social media. Um, A big part of, I guess, creativity, I would call it, would be in our tourism um, because horse farms have so many unique offerings that you know, we might not think of all the time, but looking at the person that's buying this tour ticket, what's something creative we can do to show them, you know, like like we'll have, um, like we have a cabin experience that we've been doing, we've been looking at um, combining with candle making classes or wreath making classes, things like that, that um, is still a fun activity, but it gets people out to the horse farm to see the horses and learn about it. Um, and you also have, you know, we have Serena Song. So you know, in the past we did Serena song tours or, um, you know, how do you get creative with what you can offer? Cause we do have so much to offer in, in this space.
1: Yeah. Um, I didn't realize y'all had an Airbnb. I'm very interested. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, you know, we've had a, there's been a
2: cabin on the farm for a very long time that was normally just for clients or if there was family in town or, um, and it didn't really get used that much. And so Conra and I, we built a house on the farm um, when we got married and we lived in the cabin for about a year and it's just the most amazing little place. Like it's very cozy, Um, there's a wood burning fireplace there. And it just kind of, the idea was planted that we should share this with other people because it's a really unique experience and um, because otherwise it just sits there. We do start tours there when there aren't guests in the cabin. Um, but we did, you know, we got it approved as a bed and breakfast in Bourbon County. So, um, had some help getting that approved. And then we've had wonderful reviews. You know, some people that come here just love having coffee on the porch and watching some of the babies play in the field. Um, we had one guest that hadn't seen fireflies before. Um, they're so common here. Um, so we're very used to them, but they were like, what are these magical things that are glowing in the yard? Um, So it's been really cool for us, too, to see what people see in our farm that we might not see just because we're used to it every day. Um, You know, and there's some people that actually really fall in love with specific horses. And so um, I'll try to make note of the horses they like and I can send them pictures as they grow up. Or, you know, we've even progressed where some some people fell in love with the horse a couple years ago that is now on the racetrack. So I'll send them links to watch a race uh, so that they can follow that horse's career. Um, so that's been a really, really fun thing for us. It's something we didn't really expect to do, but it's really taken off and, um, it's been fun bringing people into the farm. What a
1: great way to introduce people to the industry.
2: For sure. Yeah. yeah. It's
1: quite an
3: experience. <laughs> yeah. And then Claire is just, a she's a super host and, uh, so, you know, it sometimes she'll get, she'll like start getting antsy because like someone's not, you know, not communicating with her. And she's just like, I just want to make sure they're having a great time. And (laughs) and I'm like, if you haven't heard, if you're not hearing from them, I'm sure they're happy. I
2: have to remember some people go on vacation and don't want to speak to anybody. (laughs) So usually, like with every stay, we have a tour that's included. So usually at some point, I at least get to meet and speak with them. And Because I also, I think part of it for me selfishly is I like to meet new people and learn what they do as well. Um, And so I really love it. when We have guests that are really engaging and, you know, we can uh, make a connection there.
0: That's so special because, you know, it is such a unique niche industry and we're all tremendously lucky that we get to do what we do and we get to be, you know, insiders in this sport. Mm -hmm. So what a cool way to bring people in who don't always get to be immersed in that and make sure that you know, having a tour is part of their experience and, you know, you have that ongoing communication piece to make sure that they've connected with the farm or if they've connected with a specific horse. So, wow, that that's awesome, Claire. Like, I really <laughs> commend you in that. That's great. And, and the fact that you guys have built that culture within Denali to, you know, to be that warm and inviting and have that kind of connection with the you know the outside world in a sense is really really neat.
3: Yeah, yeah and I think I mean that's what Horse Country is is all mm-hmm. about, and was really one of the you know founding principles of it is is it's it is us at Denali Stud and the other participating farms. It's our way of you know opening the gates and bringing people in and say let us show you what this is about and what our industry is about and how well looked after and pampered these horses are. And, you know, there can be so much negativity out there that is sensationalized in the national media. And this is a small way that we can play a little part and say, come see the reality of what, of how these horses spend their day-to-day life and how well looked after they are so that you know maybe someone who's in town um the next time they're at a cocktail party and somebody says something maybe not so positive about horse racing they they say well you know i actually i toured a farm and you'd be uh, amazed at how well taken care of these horses are and you know i i want to come back and i want to be i want to be a a horse at one of these places (laughs) um and uh and I think you know extending that to to the cabin rental was was just the you know a natural extension. We have this this great resource at the farm that wasn't getting used. I mean we love we love when clients come and stay there and and come see their horses, but it's not free you know it's not that frequent that they do. And so Claire said you know what do you think about making this you know opening this up to the public and having them rent it? And I said I think that's it's a great idea. You know who wouldn't want to wake up and have coffee on the back porch and, you know, in front of a field of mares and foals and, um, you know, with a, with an amazing sunrise and sunset. And, um, and it's just another, it's another way that we can expose people to our little piece of paradise out here. And, Mm -hmm. um, and it's been interesting because it's, because it's the starting point of our tours. um, We've gotten a lot of, you know, future bookings off of that. People are like, oh my gosh, we can we can stay here. And so then they reached back out to Clara and they said, you know, we want to come back in, in April for, you know, st- staying for the spring meeting. We want to come in October. And I think April is like fully booked, isn't it? Yeah, almost. Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, we're already booking in October and we have so many repeat visitors. So there, there's some people that by the end of this year, you know, we'll have connected with them about four times now, so it's like you're just constantly building those relationships with these people. Um, you know, we've actually received some Christmas cards from some of our guests, and um, and so it's really it's a fun relationship building, and I think it's great because then you know if someone whether they just are remain fans or if maybe they want to get involved one day, um, you know the door's already open, and I feel like they any of those people might feel welcome to step in and say, hey, I need some help. Where do I start? Or um, that's, I mean, it's kind of the, the theme with our like tourism side of things is that we just want to keep an open door and make it a welcoming thing. That's, you know, it's, I feel like it could be intimidating to someone who's never, um, owned a part of a horse or been involved and we want it to, we don't want it to be intimidating. We want it to be more of a welcoming environment.
3: Yeah, definitely. Like you never know who's going to come through the front gate on mm-hmm. these tours. And you know, it's, um, it's my, my dad always told the story that, um, he met Bob and Beverly Lewis, you know, who owned Silver Charm and Serena Song and, you know, were, were, you know, hugely influ- influential in the the growth and development of the farm. He met them through a, through a Toba confirmation or pedigree clinic or something like that. And that was mm-hmm. how they were first introduced and, you know, it flourished into a relationship that has left a, you know, an indelible mark on, on Denali Stud
0: amazing that is so cool guys wow fantastic. going back to the goals and dreams talk what are your guys's goals and dreams for the future of denali Stud?
3: you wanna go first
2: (laughs) i mean i think for us it's yeah we definitely want to continue the vision that connor's parents had for the farm Um, i think we're in a good position for that they built a wonderful foundation for everything Um, I think as far as our involvement with it is we just want to continue to grow with the times, you know, I, I mentioned modernizing some things, but there's just always going to be new things to learn, whether it's how the farm is managed or marketing or all kinds of things. We just want to continue to grow and develop that way. I think size wise, I feel like we are pretty comfortable. We're not really looking to expand the size of our farm or have a, a bunch of you know, more horses here, but I think it's more of, you know, really maintaining the relationships with our current clients. Yeah. We consider a lot of them friends even. Um, and then also new clients developing those new relationships. Um, and really just focusing on like Denali is a very well-known brand within the horse industry, but we also want it to be a well-known brand outside of the horse industry. Um, those are just a few things, if you have anything to add.
3: Yeah. You know, I mean, for me, I think one of the most important things is, you know, when I, when people ask, you know, what do you want Denali stud to be known for? You know, there's a few things that come to mind, but one of the most important is, you know, I want to be known as a place that, that raises and sells and produces, you know, these, these good horses and these good athletes. And, you know, we call them, you know, our goal is we, we raise and sell Saturday afternoon horses you know the biggest races are on Saturday afternoons and that's what we want to be synonymous with and so it's uh you know we've been fortunate that we've you know been associated with some um, incredible horses some great athletes but the most gratifying thing is when it's a horse that's been raised on your land in your program and when those horses go on to achieve the you know the heights of success in the industry—that that's one of the most rewarding things when you when you raise an animal kingdom or you raise a a tapred and you know those kind of horses. And we had a really exciting weekend. We had a a gunrunner colt uh, break his maiden at fairgrounds named Hall of Fame that um, looks like he uh, he could be um, you know one was of that the-,
1: the maiden that won by like Lynx? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a full like he had the stretch to himself. Yeah, yeah he, ran. Amazing. he
3: ran half a second faster than, than the than track phantom who won the Le LeCompte at the same distance later in the, later on the day. And, uh, he's going to run the risen star next. And he was born and raised at the farm. He was always, I mean, he was a gorgeous, full, beautiful yearling. We took him to Saratoga. He's the first full for, for the mayor. The mayor's name is flag day. And, uh, he he brought a million four in Saratoga, which was just insane. Like it was it you know, that was uh you talk about a home run. I mean, this was a horse that he he was by gun runner who is just obviously a sensation. But, you know, like on pedigree, he was a horse that we went up there thinking like, wow, if he could bring four to five hundred, that would be great. And, uh, you know, we call. We, saratoga can just be a great place to sell horses and we call it saratoga magic when you take the right horse up there um you know some special things can happen mm-hmm. and um but as important as selling those expensive horses is when they run to their looks and it looks like this colt hall of fame can run to his looks so we're, uh, well, we're excited really, about him.
2: just to interject the really cool thing about him is he's a fourth generation horse on this farm. We have the, wow. we have the dam. We have the grand dam, I guess the great grand dam on the farm. So it's wow. there's like generations have been building to where we now have this product that yeah. um is pretty cool.
3: Yeah, because it's flag day. Flag day sense to compete, since to compete compete compete. Yeah. So and then he's the fourth so he's the yeah. he's a fourth generation homebred for for Earl Max. So which is really, really
0: wow. cool. And what a name, Hall of Fame. Like, <laughs> oh, I, 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 even seeing that name, I was like, wow, they had big expectations for this horse and naming him. For sure. Yeah, you can't
2: name a horse that and have
0: it done. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really cool name.
3: It'd be a waste if he was a dud for sure. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's so cool. I, was, I have your guys' bio in front of me and just, you know, kind of summarizing all that you just said. It was so cute. Your guys' you know, you, you sent along dual bios. And at the end, it says together, Conrad and Claire's goal for the future of Denali Stud is to continue being a strong and steady force in the thoroughbred industry, all while maintaining close relationships with new and existing clients. And that perfectly ties a bow on everything that you guys shared in terms of, you know, your ethos and having this amazing open door, building relationships. So, man, you guys are so cool.
2: (laughs) You guys are too.
0: (laughs) Caitlin, any other questions?
1: I think, um, no, I mean, I just, I'm so thankful to have people like y'all in the industry, um, and I think, you know, that's, it's, it's something to look up to, and especially for, you know, people such as Anise and I, who were, were not born into it, but kind of, you know, determinedly, like, made our way <laughs> into it. It's amazing to see the passion that still exists, you know, through generations of the industry, um, and seeing, that there's young people from, you know, every like walk of life at this point, trying to support the industry and move it
0: forward. And the respect and stewardship that you guys have
1: for yes. the,
0: the horse and the industry is so admirable. That was very well said, Caitlin. Yes. Yeah. It's almost
1: like as you were talking about the fourth generation, I'm like, wow, it's almost like listening to a winemaker talk about <laughs> <laughs> like, the vine could have been on their land for you know hundreds of years. That's true. Uh,
0: but yeah.
3: no, th- thank you guys for having us on. I mean, it's always, it's, it's so great when, you know, you can surround yourself with, with passionate people. And, you know, I think, uh, I think it really, it, it invigorates you and it, it inspires me more to, uh, you know, to, to go forward and to, to try to, do everything that we collectively can do to, to, you know, make this industry and make this sport better. And I think that whenever I'm around, you know, people who are doing such great things in both of your all's, you know, sp- for lines of work, it, uh, it inspires me to, to, you know, keep the faith.
1: Yeah. Same. Sure.
2: Yeah, I think we have an exciting generation of people in the horse industry. I think you have, you know, people who have been in it for a long time, or people that are new. But I just, there's just so much passion for it now, and I think you know we've had quite a few problems to solve. Um, but I think all of us are just working really hard to, um, you know, make it to where it's going to last for more generations. So it's you know people like you like that are really in charge of educating younger people on it on everything and um i just think it's a pretty pretty you know i know we have some issues but it's a pretty exciting time to um for us to be taking the reins
0: yes amen thank you guys so much for joining us today this is awesome (laughs) thank
2: Thank you all for having us it's been fun
0: thank you so much for listening to this episode of the amplify horse racing podcast if you have an idea for an episode or want to send us a comment, email us at info at amplifyhorseracing.org. You can find Amplify across social media on X, formerly known as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. We publish twice weekly. So be sure to tune in on your favorite podcasting platform of choice to catch the next episode. And don't forget to rate and review us. Catch you next time.